factor. Did anyone get anything new for Christmas? Did anybody get new clothes? Did anyone get socks? I'm sure there are lots of dads here. Oh, there's some younger faces, some women too. Sorry, it wasn't, wasn't a very inclusive statement, was it? Lots of people got socks. That's great. I got, I got a shirt, a new shirt. This is my new shirt. Hey, thank you. I'm just, I was fishing a little more there. <laughs> okay, I'll stop with the fishing jokes. All right. Quit the fishing jokes. Isn't it wonderful when you get something new, and you, especially an item of clothing? Do you like to take it and smell it? When you first get it, you smell it, just absorb its newness, just take it into you. Wherever you are today, the idea we wanted to start with in this brand new year is that we are brand new in Christ. Whether you've got a new shirt or new socks, doesn't matter, you are always new in Christ. Isn't that a wonderful message? If there's one thing you take away from today, it is this, you are new in Christ. The verse we want to get to at the end of this message is this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But we've got a bit of territory to cover to join those verses up. So let's dive into Colossians chapter 3. If you've got it, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, you can read it there or we'll have it on the screen. So let's go. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Father God, as we unpack this passage, we just want to invite your Spirit here to be among us. We just ask, Lord, that you will open our hearts and our eyes and our our minds, Lord, to everything that you have to say to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As we take a a closer look at this this 
passage, I, I want to I show you a pattern that's in it. Can we just jump to the next slide, Anna? What you'll see here is a, a pattern of life transformation in this chapter. So we started with the verse that's right in the middle, but it's very fundamental. It says, you are new. And the fundamental change that has happened is to our nature. So you can see Paul says, you died. That is a dramatic change, yes? You died. It couldn't be more stark than that in terms of your relationship between who you are now and who you were once before. If you are new, you are wholly new. It's not like you've been polished up a bit. You are not, you know, secondhand and, and, and repackaged and made a bit better. You are new. You are new in Christ. And you have a new self. You have a new nature. And what follows from that is a pattern of behavior change. So Paul says to the Colossians that you have already made a fundamental radical change in your lifestyle. So he uses these phrases like the ways in which you used to walk or the way you once lived. The, the sweep of your life, the main things that characterized your lifestyle have changed radically and you've got rid of things like sexual immorality and lust and greed. Those things are gone from their lives and he says you are to continue to have zero tolerance for them. You must put them to death because they're no longer part of who you are. You are new. And then he, he, he almost goes, it seems like he goes to the next category of things. Having changed your fundamental nature, having changed your fundamental lifestyle, now let's, let's dig into what we might call some evil habits, some lingering habits of your sinful nature that might still be in your life, like anger and rage and malice and filthy language that again have no part for you. And I think it was Simon who taught on these beautifully a few weeks ago. He used the word biff, biff them out. Biff them out. If I can elaborate on that, take them to the tip. Yeah? Get rid of them. They have no part in you. So there's the cascade, and it's, it's, it's intensifying. Can you see that? More of the old is going. And then we see this. Put on these godly attributes. So Nick talked about that, and he had an array of jackets here, old and new, for, to, to represent different metaphors. That Paul is using the, mes- the, the metaphor of clothing here, right? So put on compassion put on kindness put on humility if you are new in christ it's kind of like this might be a bit blasphemous but it's kind of like you've got brand new undies yeah and you need to put on some brand new pants and a brand new shirt and a brand new jacket you need to get dressed every day in the new does that make sense so put on these godly attributes and then finally we come to the verse that we've got today as if there was any wiggle room left and whatever you do, you like to think when you're given one verse to preach on that the scope would be contained, wouldn't you? But it says, and whatever you do, okay, all of life, do it all, okay, another all-encompassing word in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so to paraphrase, live every day, every moment, everything you're doing in the name of Jesus Christ. If that doesn't sound like a summary of the whole Christian life, I don't know what is. But you can see Paul is taking us through this pattern of transformation, can't you? There's a growth here. There's a growth. There's a maturity that is coming about. And that's what's meant by this word renewed. You might have thought when I first read that verse that said, you are new and be renewed. How how does a new thing be renewed? The, The sense of the word there behind that word renewed, I just got to consult the Greek here. Uh, It means to cause to grow up. 
to cause to grow up. So it has the, the meaning of maturing or of transformation. So while we are absolutely new in Christ, it's like we're newborn babies and we have to learn to grow in him. And so the Christian life that he has called us to, the life of followers of Jesus Christ, is a life of growth and it is dynamic and it spreads through every part of our life. And that is what Paul is talking about here. And it culminates in this thing where you do everything in his name. Here's the question. Is that the way we're living? And is that the way we think about our life in Christ? Is that the way we think about what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ? See, I've been reflecting on this phrase that we sometimes use. We talk about giving your life to Jesus. You're familiar with that phrase? So we talk about, uh, when I became a Christian, I gave my life to Jesus. But what's curious to me is that when we reflect on that phrase is that it seems to be that we're referring to a moment in time in our life. A moment in time when we said, Jesus, I I accept you as Lord and I recognize that I'm a sinful person and that I need a savior and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And that is absolutely true and absolutely wonderful. And I'm not taking away from that in the least. But when we say I've given my life to Jesus, we often tend to mean it that to refer simply to that moment. As if we've taken that word life to mean just our spiritual life. And it's like I've taken this spiritual life and I've put it in a box and I've, I've given it to Jesus and I'm kind of just waiting. And this view of the Christian life is a very passive view of life. And it's like I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back again when in its simplest sense, when I say I've given my life to Jesus, I mean I've given this life. I've given today. I've given these moments, this very moment to Jesus. I've given everything I do to him. I've given every word I speak to him. I've given the grand course of my life to him. If he wants to do a certain thing with my life, if that's his purpose, then I'm choosing that purpose. I want to follow him. So it's the big things and the small things. It's all things that we have given to Christ in that moment. When when that dawned on me, it was quite a shock. It was a bit of of an unnerving shock moment for me to consider actually this life is no longer my own until I remember that his plans for me are better than my plans until I remember why I entered into this whole relationship with him because he is good and because I need him and because I want a new life a better life I want what he has for me and so the challenge for you today in the fullest sense the question I want to ask you is Have you given your life to Jesus? This life. What does that mean in practice? I want to take us back to our key verse. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Well, whatever you do in word is pretty clear. It's however I speak. The way I relate to people Through my speech, I should do in the name of of Jesus. What about this word deed? Now, this is really interesting. When you look underneath that word, the Greek word behind that is the word ergon. So it's the same word we we derive the word ergonomics 
from. So if something is ergonomically designed, it's been made in a way that's fit for work. It supports your work. So ergon means work, and it's more often translated that way through the New Testament. And what, what Paul is really getting at here is he's talking about our productive life. He's talking about the thing you do, uh, whether that's paid employment or unpaid employment or, or whether you work in the family, so to speak, bringing up children as a parent or whether you are studying. But whatever you're doing in a productive capacity with your life, do that in the name of Jesus And so again we see this picture where the new life that Christ has for us spreads into absolutely everything we do. And it is a stark contrast to that view of the passive life where we have just entered into a spiritual transaction with God so that we can go out about our business and one day go to heaven. It's not that at all. It's radically different. This is the new life, a life that comes out of that new nature that comes out of that new life that we've received from Christ. And it flows into absolutely everything we do. And what would that look like in practice? Well, I think that's something that each of us will have to think about for ourselves. But when I think about what would it, what would it mean to do something in the name of Jesus in my workplace, I think about what would it be like to have Jesus as a colleague? What would it be like, so I work in an office environment, what would it be like if Jesus was sitting in the cubicle next to me? I tell you, his work would always be saved. Yeah, come on, come on. Yeah. His work would always be saved. Wouldn't matter if the document management system goes down for Jesus, he's like, I'm okay. He would nail the five-minute quiz, right? Jesus, do you want to do the five-minute quiz? Does anyone do the five-minute quiz at work? A little coffee break? No? Okay. Well, he would be quite good at that, I, I, I put it to you. <laughs> but of course, he would, he would encompass all of these attributes that we've already talked about putting on, right? He'd be compassionate, he'd be gracious, he'd be kind. And what would it mean for me to be like Jesus in my workplace? So if I think about me personally in my workplace, when I'm, 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 I'm talking, actually, some of you guys know I'm, I'm, I'm both here at, uh, at, at the street two days a week and I'm three days a week at the Ministry for the Environment, and this applies to me probably anywhere I am, is that when I feel busy and I feel in the zone, I get all business, right? I've just got to get the job done, right? And it it means, to be honest, I, I probably don't have as much time for people as I feel like I ought to, as Christ would call me to. If I were compassionate, if I were kind, if I were humble, how would I speak to a colleague who needs my help? Would I be too busy? Would I, would I do the minimum because I'm focused on, on what I need to do? Clearly not. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, it feels kind of like a tall order when you put it that way too, doesn't it? Are you talking about everything? Everything I do, everything I say, Yes, everything, everything, whatever means everything. All means all. Do it all in the name of Jesus. So how do you do that? I remember we had a speaker here a few years ago and he used a a phrase that I really liked. He said, he opened his sermon by saying, look, we're going to talk about this passage and I don't want to give you another brick for your Christian backpack. 
And I thought, that is so good. And guys, I wanted to let you know that I have just sweated bricks over this, so to speak, because I do not want to give you another brick for your Christian backpack. I do not want to give you a to-do list. I want to share with us some things that we can do to grow in maturity in Christ, but I want this to come out of the new life. I want us to take hold of the new life that he has for us. Can we enter into this in that spirit? Yeah? Great. Okay. Here's some awesome, awesome news. This verse has been blowing, blowing me away. It's in, in Second Peter. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has, through these promises, he has given us his very great and precious, precious no, it must be through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Whoa, hold the phone. You may participate in the divine nature? That's crazy. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, okay. Just back the truck up. This is big. So we've got this call to do everything, word or action in the name of Jesus. But then we're told, and guess what? We've given you everything to make it possible. You have a new nature. You are new in Christ. And that new nature, the divine power of God, out of that has given us everything we need for a godly life so that you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, you can be just like Jesus in your place of work. God has given you everything you need to be like that. Wow. That is a challenge to me. That is a challenge to me, I've got to tell you. But you know what this means? It means that our our decision to live for Christ is radically different to, say, a New Year's resolution. If you imagine somebody, I don't want to denigrate this resolution because it's a fine one, but just imagine somebody who's unfit and and never exercises, uh, deciding that in the New Year I'm going to go to the gym every day and I'm going to eat really well every day, and that is how I'm going to be. Now, that is a very worthy Resolution, a very worthy goal. But let's be honest, nothing changed between the 31st of December and the 1st of January, did it? It's the same person. It's not a new nature. And so it's going to be hard for that person to make that commitment. I'm not saying it's not possible. God bless you if you've chosen to do that. That's wonderful. It's going to be hard, yeah? You're going to need some help. I'm going to come back to that. But the point I want to make here is that This is different. It's not like that. In Christ, you've been made new. So it's more like an athlete who is in amazing shape already, who is fit and toned and, you know, the pinnacle of human health, everything we could aspire to in terms of physical fitness, saying, I'm going to go out and do whatever I can to make my game even better, to take this giftedness that I have, this newness, this, this maturity, and, and to expand it into every aspect of my life. Yeah? It's more like that. It's more like that. You have a new nature in Christ. And the challenge I want to 
make to us, that I make to myself here as well, is have you believed a lie from Satan that says you can't change, that says I'm stuck in the sinful habit, I'm stuck in the sinful lifestyle, or I'm just like this because that's just me. You know what the Bible says, we've, we've just looked at this, that the life that we have in Christ brings about transformation. It brings about a life of change where we systematically allow God's power to work more and more deeply through us, through every part of our life, through every word and through every action, and that it's been made possible. So in fact, if that's not happening, the only thing holding you back is you. So how do we do it? How do we pursue this growth, this this maturity that he's called us to? I want to give us three things to think about. Three things to think about. And I want to continue the sporting metaphor. The first one is this. I think we need to get into training. And again, let me just labor the point here. This is about creating opportunities for God to work in us. So this is not pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. This is opening ourselves up and, and creating ways for God to work in our lives. And the first thing I want us to do, to, like an athlete, to, to perfect our game is to get into training. And in particular, I mean to get into the Word of God, to get into the Bible. We read this in Second Timothy. You'll know this verse well. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There you see it again. How completely equipped you can be for life in Christ. And it is all here in the Word, which is beautiful words. God-breathed that carries the life of God. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness, developing that maturity in us. So this is not just about head knowledge, although there's some beautiful head knowledge in there. I mean, if you want to understand the world, get into the Bible. This is about heart transformation as well, training in righteousness, development of a new character. So there's this other beautiful uh, passage about the Bible in Hebrews. For the word of God is alive, wow, alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword that penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If you want to work out, the Word of God is the place to go. So let's get into training. Here's the second thing. Join a team. Join a team. Christianity is a team sport. Okay? We're in this together. If you want to keep growing as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to keep meeting together regularly to learn from each other so that we can share those insights we've had from the word so that we can share the things we're struggling with or battling with and help each other out through them and i want to use a verse here that's not usually used to substantiate this particular point but i think it's got something really important for us it says so christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers he gave them to the church why to equip his people collective for works of service See that activeness again in the Christian life? Works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. We are the body of Christ. Okay, We are the athlete together. We are the new. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So maturity is something we attain together. We come to maturity together together as a body, as one body, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Don't you love the completeness of the language again? Do everything in his name. We've given you everything you need so that you may attain everything. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is all out of the new. How good is the new? How good is the new life? And all this stuff is here for us. So we've got to keep coming together. Join a team. Now here's the final point I want to make today. It's fix your eyes on the prize. I think that probably only rhymes in New Zealand English. Fix your eyes on the prize, all right? Paul says this in Philippians, forgetting what is behind, forget what is behind, and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is about developing quite a different aspect to our spiritual maturity. Some of you may know that I am into long-distance cycling, and I choose the word into rather than enjoy quite advisedly. (laughs) Because sometimes it's fun, and oftentimes it's not. And you might ask, why on earth do you even do it then? And it is for the satisfaction that comes at the finish line. It is for the satisfaction of completing the race. Some of you might know that last year, if you follow my Facebook feed, I had the worst ever topo cycle challenge. Short of the wheels falling off, nothing could have gone worse. I was in great shape. I'd done the training. I was as fine-tuned an athlete as I am capable of being. <laughs> That's the limit. That, yeah, okay. <laughs> First 40 kilometers, a dream. I'm fast. I'm with a good group. I'm going really well. I'm like five minutes ahead of my target time. And then literally the bike stops working. The pedal will not turn. Just no, no reason. Well, there had to be a reason, didn't there? But the bike, I wasn't doing anything. I'm just riding my bike. And it stops going. And I try and fix it and I can't. But I do manage to get it sort of going on the high gear. If you want to know what that means, it means the slow gear. It means capable of, of pedaling fast and generating very little power and very little speed. So I spend another 40 kilometers like a hamster on a wheel. Working, working, working. Keeping looking for a bike mechanic anywhere. And then I finally, at the 80-kilometer mark, in a 160-kilometer race, I find a bike mechanic, and he fixes my bike. And I say, thank you, Jesus, because I have resolved to have a positive attitude during this race, no matter what happens, so I've got my positive attitude. And my bike is fixed, and I'm off again. And, the, the, you know, the, the target time, is, it's, it's gone, right? There's no way I'm going to achieve that but at least I'm riding again until 10 kilometers later when my back tire blows out spectacularly. It's gone. I don't just mean a puncture. I mean a race-ending event. The tire is shot. And so I'm waiting there at the side of the road and I'm talking to Catherine. I'm saying, oh, yeah, I can can probably get... They will pick me up and they'll take me back to the finish line. And then I spot this ute and it's the bike mechanic. And I, and I flag him down, and he's got a tire, and he replaces my tire, and I'm off again. I'm going again. And I'm thinking, yes, I've got a positive attitude. I'm going to finish this event. You know, probably 45 minutes later, that positive attitude was just gone. And I'm just riding down the road. And it's tough. 
I'm thinking, you had a free pass out. You could have quit, and nobody would have thought any less of you. Two big events, you could have quit twice. And here you are, and you've got all that way to go, and your target time, is, it's not just gone, it's decimated, it's buried. And you've got all that way to go. And what sustains me in that moment is the prize. It's the prize of finishing the race. It's the satisfaction of ending. And six hours and 14 minutes after I set out, I crossed that finish line, and I was surprised at how good it felt. I was surprised at how good it felt. And I think it's a bit like us. Life is a bit like that for us sometimes. Sometimes we get stuff thrown at us, stuff that really stops us in our tracks. Struggles could be any any old thing, and it feels hard. But the Bible's really consistent here. It says, "Fix your eyes on the prize. Forget what's behind." Sometimes you need to look up and out and beyond the moment that you're in to set yourself on the prize. And the prize for us is Christ. And one day he is coming again. And so no matter what this life serves up, we have a hope. And through these moments and through these challenges, the attribute that God teaches us that contributes to our spiritual maturity is perseverance. And as we know, perseverance develops character. And character develops hope so get into training get into the word of God join a team let's do this together and fix your eyes on the prize that Christ is coming again and one day in the spiritual realm we will cross that finish line and he will be cheering us on and when we get over it he will say well done good and faithful servant now the beautiful thing is that Paul gives us a very practical way of setting our hearts on Christ in this passage. Remember the verse that we're, we're, we're looking at here? It says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we give thanks, we are, in a very practical way, setting our hearts on God. We're saying, doesn't matter what's going on, the, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you what is going on there are some amazing stories in the bible where vast armies were defeated because god's people chose to praise him they didn't have to do anything this none of this is through our strength it is about making ourselves available to the power of god so let's give him thanks and the the, the cool thing about this is take a note of this this is not simply about feeling thankful this is this is a verb this is active giving thanks means to give thanks means to express your thanks, to speak it out, or, as we often do, to give praise, to worship. Worship confuses our spiritual adversaries. Worship confounds the world because it says, whatever is going on, I have given my life to Jesus, this life. How about that? Jesus has given us a new life, and it is a new life that if we will allow it, he will allow to flood every part of the life that we have. He has given us absolutely everything we need 
to do absolutely everything for him through his absolutely surpassing power given to us through his unsurpassed son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Why don't we take that into the new year? So I'm going to invite the worship team up to do that last thing, to give thanks. Let's just take a moment now and bow our heads to thank the Lord. Oh, Father God, you are good. Hallelujah, you are good. Father, we thank you that in you we are new and that you have not called us to a life of self-help or doing things in our own strength, but to live out of the new life you've given us. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is our guide in all this, who equips us with everything we need. Lord, I give you thanks for the church, this body of people who come together to encourage each other and to build each other up. And Father, we just want to commit ourselves to you again right now. We want to give our lives to you, our ordinary sleeping, breathing, working, speaking lives. Lord, we, we say they are yours and we will do whatever you want with them. May your name be lifted up and glorified. And we give you thanks now in your name. In Jesus' precious name, amen.